All right, I am Rob Boo, the senior pastor here at Wheaton Bible Church, and this is my very good friend, Steve Ford. Today we're talking about serving. God made us for serving. We are most like Jesus Christ when we serve. And the Holy Spirit promises to empower us as we serve. So to set up where we're going in God's word this morning, I want to have a conversation with you, Steve, because like many people here at Wheaton Bible Church, you serve in so many different ways. I mean, you serve the institution you work for, you serve your co-workers, family, neighbors, friends, you and I used to be neighbors. And so I want to talk, though, about what you're doing service-wise here at Wheaton Bible Church, because it's really pretty cool. So tell us about it. Well, uh, thanks for having me, Rob. Uh, Actually, as Rob kind of describes me, it's really humbling for me because I am inspired by many of you. What I do, I feel, is really, really small as it relates to this. And there's so many of you who have, for decades, risen up every fall to serve our kids, who serve in your communities. And that is just such an encouragement to me. Um, I'm busy, you're busy, but for me, where God kind of intersected my my passion and my heart was for kids. Um, and I love serving on Monday nights at a program that started out Treasured Promises. It became Caring for Kids, and, and called, now it's called Monday Night Kids. And boy, does that, does that fill me every Monday night. That's where I felt God wired me. And, and that first step to do it was a very, very hard one because I didn't see myself as good enough. I didn't see myself as holy enough. I said, somebody else can do that. But uh, my wife encouraged me. She was a giant as an inspiration for me, and here I am. So, Steve, you've been doing this for how long? Well, it started out as one day, and it's become 15 years. So 15 years later, you've been pouring yourself into kids that are often coming from somewhat difficult uh, situations, and you love on them, you spend time with them, you minister to them. Well, thank you, brother, for those 15 years. Now, let's go under the surface. Why? What, talk about motivation, yeah. talk about your heart, uh, what these kids mean to you, and help us see a little into that, because you're representing all sorts of people. Yep. Well, when you talk about my heart, the true confession is my heart is wayward. My heart focuses on me and my preferences and my comforts, and I kind of have to constantly overcome that, Rob. Um, so one of the things, uh, you, you've been a You've been an inspiration to me and many others, and I, I, every now and then I listen to your messages, and one of the well, things... that's nice, thanks. <laughs> I'm just going to go sit down. Yeah. You... But one thing Rob has taught me is to claim a verse, and when you find yourself in that situation, go to it. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. And in this case, I talked to myself when my wayward heart gets focused on me, on a verse that I learned last service, you and I picked the same verse. You're picking, you're preaching today on the verse that God puts in my heart. And you and I didn't talk about that ahead of time. No, God just winked at us, Rob. And it's, it's, it's in there twice in the Gospels. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And has give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus died for me, and that just blows me away. So it started out serving because I served to come help somebody. And now I I try to serve to honor him. Sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes there's Monday nights where I work all day and I come Monday and I'm like, eh, somebody else can do that. 
And I just kind of push past that. I claim that verse, and that just kind of gets me through it. And then God shows up in an amazing way. So some of you out there that are in the ministry, you are family to me. Um, this church is big one Sunday, um, one, one hour Sunday. But that's, that's when Monday nights and Saturday mornings at Men's Bible Study is where this church becomes very real, very small, very intimate. And God shows up in amazing ways. So let me go on. You're a busy guy. You travel for work. You're an athlete. You love doing a bunch of different stuff. But here you are. Um, how do you find the bandwidth? Yeah. How do you make this happen? Well, first of all, Rob, my sons would tell you that I was an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> so and I've experienced some of that past yeah. tense, yeah. but go yeah, ahead. We can both go there. Uh, you know, we're all busy. We're all busy. But in choosing one thing, we choose not to do another thing. And I told you, my heart can be wayward. So what I've done is I've tried to make Monday nights a priority for me. So I work for Taylor University. I travel. I've got a dozen states that I travel to. So I don't travel on Mondays unless I have to. I travel on Tuesdays. In my most recent jobs, I was on the senior staff team at a couple big, big national brands. And I just talked to my boss and I said, you know, if we're running late on Monday, I need to check out. And I just want to tell you that's a priority for me. So again, many of you do this in terms of volunteerism. I feel like I do this, and uh, what I do is I just try to really make that a priority. Um, the other thing that's really important uh, to me, and I didn't say this the first service, but one of the things that blows me away is when my fellow volunteer is somebody that is younger. Because you want to talk about kids. I'm an old guy. But when a 20-year-old, and I've had many Wheaton College guys that have partnered with me over the years, when a 20-year-old shows up, and you've got an eight-year-old with a 20-year-old, wow. So uh, just a bit of encouragement, if that might apply to you. So um, finish up here, what would you say to us as your church family yeah. in this area? We're talking about this important yeah. subject of serving, uh, a subject that sometimes is too incidental rather than central. Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to say is I'm blown away by, by you volunteers and you know I showed up real early today and I didn't realize how full the parking lot is at, at 8 30 getting ready for today you know I see it in my neighbor's house as Ann has young couples over to our house I see it as guys buy the sweet rolls on Thursday morning and guys set up chairs and it's not all teaching and preaching but there's there's a lot of ways and what I say is for me that first step was really hard because I said, you know what? The church is big. Somebody else can do it. I've got a lot going on in my life. And I just keep on saying that, you know, we can do this. We can do this. So church family, this is, this is here. And, you know, the number one reason oftentimes people don't give and don't get involved in the area of stewardship is they're not asked. So on behalf of my church, our church, we invite you to, to join us. And my prayer is that this would be a blessing in your life for the Jesus that ransomed you as it has been in mine. Amen, brother. Thank you, Steve. Love you. Love you, man. Thank, Thank you. you. Great job. So God has made us for this. Christ died for this. We're most like Christ when we do this. And the Spirit promises to empower us as we serve. And so in light of what Steve had to say this morning, and there's so many of you that are just like Steve Ford here at Wheaton Bible Church, and it's one of my delights as a pastor of this church to see that and to hear your stories and to see how God is using you. I want to go to what I think is one of the most important passages in the New Testament on the subject of service, and it's found in Mark chapter 10. 
And we're going to pick it up in verse 32. But before we look at the passage, I want to say to you that when I was in college, I came to Christ through a variety of uh, circumstances and a number of people, but it was in reading the Gospel of Mark that God opened my eyes and I came to Jesus. And there are certain passages in Mark that God used to profoundly change me and impact me, and this passage is one of them, and it continues to change me and challenge me and to stretch me as I see here the beauty of service according to Jesus. So out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me as we read beginning in verse 32, Mark chapter 10. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink from the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Now, the cup and baptism here are metaphors. Metaphors for the suffering and the judgment of God that Jesus will experience on the cross. Verse 39, we can, they answered, And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. In other words, as my followers, you will suffer as well, but your suffering will be different than mine. And then he goes on in verse 40, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together, all 12 of the disciples, and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." This is God's word, and you may be seated. The greatest, wisest, most important person in the history of the world self-identifies as a servant. To be a believer in Jesus Christ is to be a servant according to Jesus. Now, when Jesus talks about being a servant, he's not merely talking about behaviors and activities, and that's certainly a a part of being a servant. He's also talking about our heart. So not something just external, but something internal, the disposition of our heart, how we view our identity in life. 
our mission and our our purpose in life. Is life all about me? Is life about others? And this is really hard. This concept of service is really hard. And, And that's the point here in this story with James and John. Three times now in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has predicted, he's announced, he's prophesied his death. Once in chapter 8, once in chapter 9, and here in chapter 10 in verses 33 and 34 where he gives us some specifics about what he will face when they go into Jerusalem in just a a, a short time. And what Jesus is telling the disciples is the entire Jewish religious establishment, the Roman political establishment, will turn on him as he enters Jerusalem and kill him. But even though the disciples have been with Jesus almost daily for three years, and even though James and John here, along with Peter, form the inner circle of the 12 disciples, they don't get it. The cross is unimaginable to them. They have spent the last couple of years seeing Jesus' miracles. Hearing his teaching, seeing his power and his authority. And along the way, they have been absolutely convinced that one day Jesus is going to march into Jerusalem and be anointed as a messianic Jewish king and he will overthrow the hated Roman occupation. It's why these guys use the word uh, glory in verse 37. When you enter into your glory, man, Uh, uh, remember us, position us. But they don't understand. James and John don't understand. The 12 don't understand one of the basic principles of Christianity. And here it is. The cross always comes before the crown. I want you to get this. This was the story of Jesus. The cross comes before the crown. It's the story of our lives. The cross always comes uh, before the crown. Uh, we suffer and then we mature. We suffer some more and we mature some more. And all pointing to the day we will stand in the presence of the King of Kings in the streets of gold in, in Jerusalem. But the disciples aren't processing this, so they ask this question. Would you let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory? Now, the disciples are confused about Jesus They're certainly confused about what's ahead. But James and John understand one thing, and they're in total agreement on it. And that is that they are the best of the 12. They are convinced of their own personal greatness and superiority. And apparently, they think Jesus shares that same lofty opinion of these two. So what do they do? Well, here they ask Jesus to be his two most prominent cabinet members. Hey, put us in the two positions of power. And it's almost like these two guys are coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, let's settle this greatness issue once and for all right now. We're your best disciples. You know that. Go ahead and make it public. Uh, Let's do it. They want the world, and hear this, they want the world to see how great they are. 
And so they're living for the grandstands. Now think about what they don't say. They don't say, Jesus, man, this is going to be awful for you. This is a nightmare. What can we do? Uh, They don't ask, uh, Jesus, how how can we serve you in this trial that's ahead? They can't even process that. They're not even thinking about Jesus because they're just thinking about themselves. They want to be rock stars. And that's the human heart. It's your heart. It's, It's my heart. And you see what this is, don't you? This is pride. And then you ask yourself the question, why is this in the text? And the answer is because Mark wants us to understand that pride is the number one barrier to living a life of service. It's our pride that kills us spiritually. Now, where you insert yourself into stories like this makes all the difference in how you interpret these stories. And so I want to suggest to you this morning, and I say this in love, you and I are James and John here. See yourself as James and John. We are people that believe in Jesus, I mean, we love being around Jesus, uh, but in our hearts, often we can't hear Jesus because we really don't want to live as servants. We really don't want to spend our lives caring for the interests of the others around us. We really don't want to surrender control. We want to uh, stay in control, and and it's pride. I mean, after all, the world tells us you're significant when you succeed, not when you serve. You're significant um, when you attain, when you uh, have positions of uh, influence and, and power. Now, parenthetically, never mind the last couple of decades of psychological and sociological research that tells us that humans are most happy when they serve. Secular research is now telling us what Jesus is telling us here 2,000 years ago. You will be most fulfilled in life. You will be most content. You will be most happy in life uh, when you serve others. And some of you... And I I know a number of you have made made real progress against your pride. But the reality is, at the center of our sinful fallen hearts, there is this idol called self. What David Brooks calls living in the culture of the big me. There's this big me, big I, big Rob. We have this idol of me, myself, and I. We have this idol of comfort. We have this idol of wanting to be in control, wanting to have everything mapped out. And so daily we will battle with pride. And that's what Mark is trying to help us understand. And you say, well, how? Well, let me give you a couple of illustrations of our battle with pride. Take, Take your prayer life. I mean, what these guys say in uh, verse 35 is just so crazy. Now, we may not say this 
to Jesus out loud, but often when we pray, what are we doing? We're, we're coming to God and we've got this request or we've got this request, and, and uh, kind of un, unintentionally, unconsciously, uh, uh, we're thinking, God, we want you to do whatever we ask. I want you to do whatever I ask. And you say, no, 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 and I say, you know what? I have talked to way too many people that have walked away from God because of unanswered prayer because God didn't give me whatever I wanted. It's pride. It's why we worry. Do you know it's pride that causes us to worry? Uh, we're proud, so we think we know what's best for ourselves. We know what's best this week. We know what's best uh, n next year, and so we map out our own uh, uh, agenda. But God laughs at our pride, and he weeps at our worry. And we're bitter, and underneath our bitterness is, is, is pride. I didn't deserve that. I, I, I got shafted. And we go through life holding, holding a grudge because we got shafted. And even though we as followers of Jesus Christ have been forgiven, uh, there, are, there are certain areas, certain people that we just can't forgive. Bitterness is believing God got it wrong. Worry is believing God won't get it right. And pride is underneath both. Now I say this uh, to say, uh, don't look at this and think James and John are idiots. They are not idiots. Rather, see yourself. See your battle with your self-centeredness in them. Because so often we're blind to what we don't know. And our pride blinds us, and it keeps us, uh, it keeps Jesus at a distance, and we don't enter into this joy and this contentment, this happiness of serving others. One of my favorite authors is a man named Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp has spoken here at Wheaton Bible Church. He's written a bunch of books. One of my favorite books is this book called A Dangerous Calling. It's a book about the dangers of being in full-time ministry and how important it is to walk close to uh, uh, Jesus. And Sergio, at the beginning of our worship this morning, was referring to some of this. But on the back of Paul Tripp's book, he has five endorsements from Christian leaders. Three of the five have fallen. Immorality, apostasy, and dysfunction. And what's underneath all three is pride. Pride takes out leaders. Pride is taking out James and John. Pride left unchecked will take you out. I don't know about you, but I'm just like James and John. Apart from the spirit, continuing to chisel away. So all this to say, according to our passage, our problem with serving, your barrier, my barrier to entering into a life of serving and to making the sacrifices inherent in serving is our pride, our self-focus. And so what I want to do is I want to shift as the passage shifts and I want to look to the paradigm, this new paradigm that Jesus develops. And in the first century world, this is a radically new uh, paradigm. So look at what Jesus says. 
He calls them together and he says, you know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And now he begins to land this plane. Not, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Now, do you hear what Jesus isn't saying? Jesus is not forbidding the desire to be great. Jesus is not forbidding the desire to be exceptional. He is not condemning ambition, wanting to make an impact. Wanting to leverage your gifts and abilities in the best way you possibly can. Rhonda, my wife, is a physician. She's a pediatrician. You better believe her patients want her to leverage her gifts and abilities as best as she possibly can. Jesus is not forbidding the desire to be great. Instead, he's reframing it. He's redefining it. And I want to suggest to you what Jesus Christ says here is a pivot point in the history of the world. He throws all the, the Greco um, uh, Eastern understanding of greatness and power and influence on its head. He turns it upside down and he gives us a new definition of greatness here. And it isn't, it isn't denying your gifts, but rather it's using them for others. For the glory of God. So you spend your life spending your life and your gifts and your abilities on other people rather than yourself. And it's not about me. It's about how God has graced me and what God is doing in my life. Uh, and how, how do you know if this is beginning to happen in your life? It's if you can say, if you can consciously say, she, not me. He, not me. In this particular situation, no, it's she, not me. Uh, you know what? I, I'm not going to get angry here. I'm not going to get frustrated because it's he, not me. He goes first and I'm going to go second. And I want to tell you, when you can say, she not me, he not me, not only does that make for a great marriage, it makes for a great life. And all the trouble I get into with my marriage with this beautiful woman right here is because it's me, not her. And it's our pride, it's our self-centeredness. Now, let me go back to this. Jesus uses strong language here. Once in verse 43 and once in verse 44, he uses the word must. And he's telling us that to be a follower of Christ, how do I know I'm a follower of Christ? How do I really know I'm growing as a Christian? Service for you isn't optional. It's essential. Uh, Jesus doesn't say if you get around to it or you can work it into your schedule. He's, he's talking about the, uh, our perspective, the, our, our intellectual framework, the disposition of our hearts. You must. You want to be great? You must. You want to live a life of influence? You must. 
You must serve. Jesus Christ is calling us to self-identify as servants repeatedly, daily. We get up in the morning. Well, I wonder, God, what you're going to do. How can I serve people around me today? Now, I happen to love eating at Chili's. You know the restaurant? And it's not like I'm at Chili's every day, so I don't want you to misunderstand. But I love their big, juicy burgers and their fries. It's health food, right? (laughs) And when you go into Chili's or any restaurant, there's basically two groups of people. And I'm I'm oversimplifying, but you've got the wait staff and you've got the customers. (laughs) Jesus is saying, my people are the wait staff. They're not the customers. And according to Jesus, if you want to be great, uh, you'll go to Chili's and you'll say, hey, you know that waitstaff, that's a metaphor, that's a picture for how Jesus wants me uh, to live my life. So, hey, I'm Rob, how can I take care of you today? What, What would you like for starters? And a little while later, oh, you didn't like the burger? Well, here's three more. And we tend to go through life thinking we're the customers, we're the consumers. It's our, our culture. Jesus is saying, no, you're the wait staff. And God loves you so much, he gives, that a, gives you that picture every time you go into a restaurant. And it's what greatness is. This is John. John's a 17-year-old athlete, and uh, most days he has to rush home right after football practice to redo his little brother, Alan. Why? Because Alan has cerebral palsy, and the only way mom can get dinner on the table is if John reads to Alan for about an hour and a half, and John loves it. He wouldn't trade it, but John is a remarkable 17-year-old because he doesn't just take from his family, he serves his family. Joyce is a high-capacity businesswoman, and she's invited people from her apartment complex, people um, uh, from work, uh, into a Bible study to explore who Jesus Christ is. And on Thursday nights, Joyce finds herself at the nursing home, just hanging, talking, loving. Todd and Holly are in their mid-70s, and they've been leading a small group, a a life group, and everybody, all different ages in their group, they just love Todd and Holly because they love their wisdom, they love their life experience, they love uh, being uh, uh, together. A couple weeks ago, I was in Frankfurt, Germany, and I was speaking at a missions conference on on reaching Europeans for Jesus Christ. It's part of, I've been traveling, it's part of why I've been gone. And I I got to know at the conference a young man by the name of Sammy. Sammy's not his real name. But Sammy was a former Muslim imam. As a matter of fact, he was one of the top Muslim clerics in his country. He was an advisor to government leaders. And God intervened supernaturally in 2015. Just four years ago, Sammy came to Jesus Christ. And it has cost him. His Muslim wife divorced him. Cut him off from seeing the kids. 
and he's lived with multiple death threats. And so Sammy and I were having lunch, or, or, or maybe it was a dinner, and, and we were talking, well, you know, Sammy, what, what have you been doing? You were in this position of power, and he said, well, now you know what I love to do? I love to be on the streets in Europe because there are so many Muslims, and I love to just enter into conversations, and I love to share with them what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And Sammy told me that in the last five years, he has personally seen 750 Muslims come to Jesus. Yeah, isn't that cool? And Sammy just got married two days ago. And God is working. He's a servant. He self-identifies as a servant. God doesn't give us grace so we can spend his grace on ourselves. He gives us grace so we can spend our lives on others. Mike Swider, where are you, brother? That's why I love you. Because the way you invest in these athletes, the way you serve, how passionate you are, the conversations we've had over the years, brother, the way you live this out. Thank you, Mike. Look what Jesus says in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. That, that he what? That he texts his friends? That he checks in occasionally? That he lays down his life for his friends? You only do that when you self-identify as a servant. That's an identity thing. It's a mission thing. It's a, it's a purpose thing. It's, a, it's a, a, a significance thing. You know what it means? It, it means in the moment that you listen rather than talk. You ask questions rather than interrupt. It means you don't discard people or situations when they get complicated or, or, or they get messy. It means we demonstrate the glory of the gospel uh, lived out uh, through us by the power of the Spirit, by our joy and our contentment when we don't get our way, when um, people misunderstand us, uh, uh, people don't get us. Because we want to serve. And we understand the greatest privilege in life and the greatest source of happiness uh, in Jesus Christ is when we spend our lives on others. So this is the paradigm. The problem is our pride. The paradigm is a life of service that Jesus calls us to here in Matthew chapter 10. And he reiterates in John chapter 15. Now, I want to talk about the power. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have the power to live a life like this. I don't have the ability in and of myself to be selfless because I am a self-centered by default. So where does the power come from? And Jesus gives us the answer in Mark 10 and verse 45. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I submit to you that this is not only the most important verse in the Gospel of Mark, this is one of the most important verses in the entire New Testament because here Jesus tells us not only that he will die, he tells us why he's going to die. Why is Jesus going to die? To give his life as a ransom. What does it mean? Well, a ransom is a price you pay to buy someone's freedom. 
Someone is kidnapped, you pay the ransom. In Jesus' day, ransoms were paid to buy criminals and foreigners and debtors out of jail. It's a debt that's paid. It's a price that's paid, and it's always substitutionary. I'll pay this for you so that you can go free. And so what Jesus is telling us, what Jesus is pointing to, what Jesus is predicting is the cross. That I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die on the cross in your place for your sins as your substitute, as a sacrificial lamb, so that the moment you believe, you might be set free from the bondage, the penalty, the guilt of sin. Now, because sin is a cosmic evil in the sight of a holy God, this ransom is a cosmic ransom. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Jesus is telling us in the language that sin has kidnapped us imprisoned us, is in the process of destroying us. And he has come, he has come for one purpose, to set us free so that we can be all God wants us to be. Now picture this moment in Mark chapter 10. Jesus is leading the way. Jesus always leads the way. He's the only one in his group that understands the indescribable agony that's awaiting him. Yet Jesus is relentless. He's putting one foot in front of the other. He's steadfast because he's a servant. Where is Jesus going? He's going to Jerusalem. Why is Jesus going to Jerusalem? He's going to Jerusalem to to die, to die for you and me. He will not be delivered. He is keeping an appointment made in eternity past. And he is moving to a place of bondage. He will be arrested. He's moving to a place of betrayal. He's moving to a place where he will be rejected, crucified, tortured. But he doesn't hesitate. Because he sees himself as a servant. And this is Jesus' cup. It's his baptism. He bore the judgment that we deserve. So in believing, we might experience the freedom we don't deserve. And so now we're to the power. Where is the power to live like a servant? In the, in the push and shove of life, in the, the tedium of life. Well, here's the power in verse 45. The power isn't in embracing an abstract concept called serving, nor is the power found in following the example of Jesus. The power is in believing and basking daily in the fact that Jesus Christ died for me. He served me. 
And when you believe that and when you know that and you see the extent he went to serve you, then you are free to be a servant. Oh, it doesn't matter that she rejected me. It doesn't matter that they don't get it. It doesn't matter that they don't uh, appreciate me because when you have at the center of your worldview a man who died for his enemies, it changes your concept of fluence, power, and your concepts of affluence, power, and authority. And you become freed from the prison of pride, the prison of narcissism and self-centeredness. And you're liberated to lay down your life and to serve to the extent that the death of Jesus Christ is beautiful to you, the most beautiful thing in your life. And that's the power when you fix your eyes on Jesus. And the Spirit uses that meditation uh, as with the verses you memorize and you, you press them into your, your heart and, and man you are emboldened and you are free and you are significant and you, you it doesn't matter what the world says it doesn't matter if people disappoint you because man you, you got the ransom and Jesus Christ is beautiful to you and that's what it means to live a gospel centered life and you know it works. I mean, let me go back to James and John. Uh, James is awash in narcissism here, and yet you go to Acts chapter 12. And James is one of the first martyrs in the church. John, right here, full of pride. John goes on to write the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation. First and second and third John. And look what he says in first John. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. That we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now what happens between Mark chapter 10 and James martyrdom and John the author of these epistles who ultimately will be exiled to the island of Patmos. What's happened? What's happened is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Do you get it? Are you all in? The power isn't in you. The power's not in me. The power is in the blood. Uh, and now, friends, we have all sorts of wonderful opportunities for you to serve here inside the church. I want to invite you to join our children's disciple-making team and invest in the next generation or our student disciple-making team or our greeter team or our tech team or be a small group leader and serve in a bunch of different areas. That's just inside the church. Outside the church, the needs around you are, are, are full of opportunities to step in and, and, and to serve. And let's do it. Whoever wants to be great will be a servant. And you, in the providence of God, were made for this. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for the wonder of your Son. That Jesus became the ransom for us. That in him we might find life. And continue to find life. So God bless us. Fill us. For Jesus sake. Amen.